0: All right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I am back with my buddy Jordan McPherson. I'm Andre Fernandez, deputy sports editor at the Herald. And uh, we are here to talk about this Marlins team, which somehow keeps defying the odds. I was there on Sunday when they pulled that, you know, I'm going to say something right out of their, you know, what's to, to come back and beat the Yankees five runs in the ninth inning, then. On top of that, they follow it up with, a, with a, a solid victory on Monday night against the Astros. Jordan, what is with this team? This team doesn't look like it's anywhere. At, at first, it looked like they were spiraling, falling out of the playoff race, but they refused to go away. And and it looks, uh, to their credit, they, they continue to, to hang in there, and now they're back actually holding
1: one of the wild card spots as we record this. Yeah, it's just, this has been their MOL season. Right when you think that they're falling behind, they figure out ways to come back. I mean, they've won, since the last time we talked, they've won five of their last six. They took two or three against the Reds, two or three against the Yankees. They won their first game against the Astros, convincingly five to one. And it was, again, not like, again, they were going up against Ramber Valdez on Monday. They get two runs against him in the third inning Framber hold them down until the eighth. And then they casually hit back to back to back home runs. Something you completely expect from this Marlins team. Uh, Jorge Soler, Luis Arise and Josh Bell back to back, back just the second time in franchise history, they've had home runs in three consecutive at bats. The other time came back in 1998. And of all three guys, Luis Arise being the one who called the shot, because of course Luis Arise is going to call a shot, but just, Seeing what this team has done, five wins in their last six, they're back to six games over 500, uh, only about a game, out, a game or a game and a half out of the top wild card spot. Now, not just having the third spot, but they're, again, they're in that cluster of their schedule where they're facing the playoff teams. And we said, the, um, there's we've talked about the importance of not just re-obtaining that momentum they had in the first half, but finding ways to sustain it. This is the first bit of quote-unquote sustained success that we've seen from them on this half of the All-Star break. First time they've won at least three games in a row since coming back from the All-Star break, five of six for the first time since I think it's early June. Uh, to be able to see this type of this type of success, obviously it's only one week, but this is the type of stre- mini-stress they to at least start to see if they can build something. And to be able to do it against, again, the Reds who have been good, the Yankees, and to start to get the series open against the Astros, it's a good start. Now it's the the importance of seeing what they can do, if they can sustain
0: what they're doing here moving forward. So what you're saying is that clearly somebody went, grabbed the piece of paper that said believe on it, taped it back together, put it back up on the wall, and and now they're having the Ted Lasso effect in in that clubhouse, is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, well, it's a funny thing that you say that because Skip Schumacher is a big Ted Lasso fan, another reason why I've endorsed what he's doing at this point. The, the word believe has been used about 11,000 gajillion times this year, when, whether they're winning, whether they're losing. It's just the phrases, they just keep saying they have a lot of belief. They're using the phrase that they're a big, heart team. Uh, but, again, when Skip on Sunday said – and I believe the phrasing was, yeah, the, those guys just don't stop believing. I immediately thought in my mind, like, okay, Ted Lasso's singing Journey on karaoke night right now. Yeah. But the thing is, if it's working, it's working. It was, and on the,
0: it was on in the clubhouse, by the way. Of course it was. No, it wasn't. I'm kidding. It was no. no.
1: Well, again, well, when I, I just think back to last year now, when we're going since we're on the topic of music, when they had that stretcher, they went like 30 some innings without a run and they start playing. Uh, My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion, the Titanic song. And they end up using that as their rallying cry, and they scored eight runs the next game. So it worked. But Bring on the cheese, then. Yeah.
0: (laughs) As cheesy as you want it to be, if it's working.
1: If if it works, it works. That's the bottom line at this point. The Marlins, again, if they can do whatever they need to do to get themselves where they need to go, so be it.
0: Well, I'll tell you what didn't work for me. That was uh, seeing, a, seeing a team up 7-1 and then having to rewrite my story when uh, Clay Holmes airmails the ball in the in the right field. But it worked for them. So that's what we're talking about right now. Not my stresses. We're going to talk about their, uh, theirs and the way they're doing it right now. Like you said, I mean, I think in all seriousness, they would like to not be in these predicaments of course. over and over. I mean, even though, like you said, 27-10 now in one-run games, eight walk-offs. The, the serious question is, is this? I mean, you would think this isn't really sustainable going forward, but I don't know. They keep finding ways to do it. I mean, you look at their, you look at the MLB standings right now and there's a little column that says expected win percentage. It's about, it's like seven or eight wins less than what they have right now. And I think it's because of the way that they're winning this game these games in part. So is it good, good fortune, and and you know, you have all the credit for being clutch? Yes. But at the same time, as it gets deeper and deeper here, playing all these types of teams we're playing right now, and assuming, let's say, they do snatch one of these wild-card spots and get in the postseason, it's a two- it's a two-fold thing where yes, you're gonna have that experience where your guys are gonna know how to handle these close games, but at the same time, you don't want to be playing with fire over and over because if you fall behind, you know, especially in the playoffs, if you fall behind like that. Forget about seven to one. Even even by two, three runs, tends not to be a good thing with the kind of quality pitching that you're going to face. So at some point, some of the stuff we talked about, it's good that you're starting to see those glimpses again. They're starting to hit better. They're starting to, you know, put those put those runs together like they were before. But you want to be able to do that. And and some of it too is getting your lineup more intact because, you know, Jazz is back now. You know, Solaire missed a couple of games, but he comes back. So the pieces are, of the puzzle are starting to fit together better. So hopefully for them, that means all the stuff I'm saying right now as we go forward in this stretch.
1: Yeah, just one though on those expect the expected win loss thing. That's completely based off of run differential. So if a team has Which is low. Yeah. Which yeah, is low. But thi- yeah, but the thing is if you have like four or five big blowout losses like the Marlins had early in the year, again, you look yeah. at it, they had, I think, five of their most lopsided losses were in those first two months. That's going to skew it all season. It could skew it a little bit, yeah. yeah so, but like, I mean, again, but when you compare they, it, still though, when you no, compare ugly. it to the Cubs
0: and others, there's no. still a big gap. Even if you, even if you brought them up like 20 runs, it's still a big gap,
1: right? now. Yeah, I'm just pointing out they had, I think it's one, two, three, four losses from April 3rd through May 3rd that were mm-hmm. 10 plus
0: blowouts. So yeah.
1: if you take four, those four, that's 40 right there. That's right. That's the entire run differential gap right now.
0: No, it, it awesome. is. But but I think there is a, a an element there though. Of you want to kind of try to win these games without it being an adventure and without having to you know basically yeah. pull it out every time, you know. Yeah, without, no, there, I, there is a there is yeah. a wear and tear to that
1: too. So, no, I, to don't fan, with, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree that, but there is there are two sides to that where it's again where there are a few games that from early in the year that kind of completely skewed that one number that, no, that right. you were going off of.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And it, it does, and you know, at the same time, though, that's all, all I mean is that at some point it's like you don't want their luck to run out and you don't want it to be based on luck either. You want to honestly have a team that's that that's capable of competing in the postseason. And and like I said before, to their credit, they are at least they have learned how to win games under pressure, under fire like they have, you know. But, you know, that gets more and more difficult when you get to the playoffs so or, or get close to the playoffs as they are again right now. But uh, switching gears here, Sandy Alcantara. Looking like Sandy again, complete game against the Yankees. You know, you don't like the 116 pitches necessarily, but he has shown he can handle it. And, you know, they spaced out a couple days before and after, like you pointed out, you know, to give him that. But the the bottom line is Sandy pitching like Sandy. We talked about that a lot in the first half.
1: That was a, a vital component for this rotation going forward. Yeah, no doubt about it. Six games into – Six games since the All-Star break, he's had a 2.45 ERA, 12 runs over 44 innings. And to point out in there, eight of those 12 runs came in two of those starts. So mm-hmm. if you take those out, four of his starts, he's given up just four runs in, I think, 32 innings. He has two complete games on this half of the All-Star break, three overall in the season. He had that one against the Twins, to start uh, that second start of the year. This is the Sandy that the Marlins had last year. This is – we're seeing Cy Young Sandy in the second half, and – Considering the way that he pitched in the first half, I'm trying to pull back up the numbers for comparison. Uh, yeah, so he had a 4.72 ERA in his first 18 starts. He's down to a 2.45 ERA since the All-Star break. Only four other only four other pitchers who have thrown at least 30 innings have a higher ERA than him, or a lower ERA than him since the All-Star break. And he's thrown the most innings since the All-Star break. Sound familiar? I feel like this is how we sort of talked about him last year. And that's what the Marlins have needed. They needed that guy to – they needed him to become the anchor of that rotation again, especially with so much youth on that rotation with all these guys already exceeding innings limits. Braxton Garrett's already way past. is already way past. Edward Cabrera's in the minors because his command went awry. He's got, done better in AAA, but again, AAA versus MLB, it's hard to gauge how much those results would actually apply directly to the big leagues. Obviously, we're seeing what's happening with Yuri now that he's come back up. Sandy needed to be a stabilizer. He needed to be the leader. He needed to be the ace of the rotation, and you're finally seeing the results that come with what he brings in the clubhouse. And this is just what one big piece that they need to be sustainable over these next six weeks.
0: Well, I'll tell you, the other guy that needs a, a flip, a flip of the switch, and that's uh, you know, obviously, a difficult spot that. You know, has been put in, you know, going down, coming back. Yuri Perez, we know, hasn't been the same. And he struggled his first two starts back. You know, we understand why it was done and all that. But, you know, from looking at it, I mean, we talked to him after the, the start on Sunday. And he just thinks he's just uh, doesn't have just the, the, the ability to locate in the zone as well, like he was doing before. He feels like he has to work on that. You know, what? from what you've seen both in person and then and watching it on Sunday, you see common threads between the two starts or maybe something that just wasn't there. I mean, you obviously had the front row seat to see him when he was on fire and looking like one of the best rookies in recent memory, just not the same guy since he came back up.
1: Yeah, well, the first start, the one in Cincinnati, it was basically he only had command of his fastball. So that first start, it was basically once the Reds realized that, they are like, okay, I'm just going to wait for a fastball. This time it was, he was falling behind in counts. So it's, he had two different issues and two different starts. Obviously he's not going to be a guy they're utilizing for length. He's probably not going to go more than five innings. Any of his starts regardless. Again, he threw, he went four and two thirds, the first start four in the second start. And it's just, like you said, he's got different things that he's having to re-identify each time because during that month long span, he only made two starts down in double A. So, it's not like he was being challenged during that month off, so he's having to reget into that aggressive mode, that compete mode, and not gonna. What's gonna happen at the drop of the hat? Going okay, you're you're coming back up. Do exactly what you just did last month. That's just that's unrealistic, especially on a 20 year old kid to put that much pressure on him that quickly. Obviously, bring him up here does inherently put that pressure on him, but it's. Hard to imagine him being able to just completely re-enter the way that he was and in the groove that he was after a month off, and it's not going to get much easier. His next start is going to be against the Dodgers out in LA, so we'll see how he's able to fare there. Right, he goes the second game of that series, so that's going to be a very interesting one to watch. Again, three three starts, three very good teams right out of the gate, and it literally gives you a glimpse of what he can do again it's we saw we saw his one outing against the braves the first time he the first time he was up here struggled that struggle against them too it's interesting to see how he fares in terms of the competition wise compared to some of the other teams that he faced back in that first half
0: yeah i mean that's the one thing and like you said it's more inherent than actually them saying that and i know they're saying they don't want to put too much pressure on him but that's the one thing I didn't like. It's like you don't bring him up out of desperation and feel like he has to be the savior either, because he's just a rookie. you know who has to be your savior in a way if you're gonna put that on somebody. That's more Sandy, who yes. came in. He's your Cy Young winner. He's your ace, and he's starting to look like that again. But Yuri's in. Yuri's a rookie, so he's in the. You know, we we got really. What happened is he spoiled everybody with how well he was doing. Now it's like you gotta remind yourself, this is a kid that's still developing too. As good as he may be and as good as he's gonna be, it's still he's hitting that phase where he has to develop. And I mean, look, you see it not just with pitchers, with hitters. I mean, even on the other side of it this week, you saw Anthony Volpe hit two home runs against the against the Marlins and for the Yankees. And that's a kid who's one of the best prospects in baseball. He was hitting, I think it was like two twelve coming in, you know, started on fire, then hit a rut. This is where Yuri has the patch where he has to work through continue to learn continue to develop and then if they can do that just so happens to do that on the fly over the next month with the kind of lineups he's going to face, hey you may get a, a very good one that you can maybe look for to help a little bit, but it's a balancing act too because you don't want to burn him out and pitch too much as well. And so they're gonna have to figure out how to do that in September while they're in a in, you know potentially in a, in a playoff race still.
1: Yeah, and that's what's going to be interesting when, if slash when they decide to bring Edward Cabrera back. Because right. remember, he's technically can come back as early as I think it's Wednesday or Thursday. So he only had to spend 15 days in the minors, so I think he's at 12 or 13 already. So whether they decide to give him one more start in the minors and then bring him back or just bring him back the, for the next turn of the rotation, that could be another way to ease Yuri in in terms of his innings counts and in terms of what teams he faces you can start to mix and match in terms of your rotation with having six six options in there between Sandy, Uri, Cabrera, Lazardo, Braxton Gary, and Johnny Cueto. You'll have the options to be able to move guys around, potentially do a six-man rotation. They haven't talked about it that yet in terms of this current group, but that's been a topic they've discussed at points throughout the season, especially, like I said before, with innings counts going up for a lot of these younger guys. That could carry into a possibility down the road. And it would be one that'd be logical if you want to keep Yuri's inning town down, but not completely shut him down and be able to get and find a way to weave a guy like Edward Cabrera, who if he has his command, his stuff is good. We've seen it. We've seen how talented he is. The two 90, 96, 97 mile an hour fastballs, the changeup that gets swing and miss and the curveball and slider. If he's able to hone in his, hone in his stuff and be in the zone, he and Sandy are a formidable one-two punch. Yuri is an X Factor. And then Lazardo and, and uh Braxton Garrett from the left side. That gives you a pretty good rotation. Plus the veteran from Poito to eat up innings. That's good for down the road.
0: Yeah, what's funny is that's Yuri has become what they had hoped to have with Sixto, remember? Yeah. The three, three flame throwing wait, Dominic Sixto still there?
1: Sixto still a thing?
0: Come on. <laughs> no, it, it, but in all seriousness, that that's what they were yeah. open for. That one, two, three, all throwing Dominican right handers there, just you know, power pitching. Now they're getting it with Yuri. Imagine if Sixto would have worked out, God, where they'd be now they're gonna have yeah. four of those guys right now. But but you're right, because in a in a compressed setting, in a two out of three, and heck even a three out of five after that that's the kind of rotation you want that could wrap up a series quick if they if they're on if they're on and and you know perfect command and, and whatnot i mean we saw it in the in the shortened covid year when they just took out the cubs in two games i mean that yeah. could be you could have a scenario like that where they they you know they face somebody and boom got two great starts back to back and suddenly you're in the division series so we'll see long way to go still before that yeah All right, we've talked plenty about pitchers. Now let's switch and talk a little bit about hitters and primarily the two new guys that seem to be, uh, you know, injecting life into this team. And then Skip Schumacher talked about that after the win over the Yankees, how these guys have energized things. You know, I mean, face it, these guys, they came in in the Marlins and, and were part of it as they came in. But this team was in a rut, 17 out of 22. Now all of a sudden starting to turn the corner as we've seen this week. But uh, Josh Bell is who we're talking about, and Jake Berger, of course, who had the game-winning hit against the Yankees. Bell in 12 games, 326, 404, 696, slash line, five homers, 10 RBI, 10 runs he scored himself, five homers, tied for second among all players since his Marlins debut on August 2nd, and he's reached base in every game. And when you talk to him, he seems like he has that, that veteran presence, but at the same time, a guy who looks like a clubhouse guy too. Like he looks like he's brought that off the field as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, everybody who I talked to, I've talked to a couple of my buddies who covered teams that he was on before. Everyone said as soon as the Marlins had traded, they went, this guy's going to be good for you, for the, for that clubhouse. Yeah. And it's lived up to the case. And my favorite interaction I've had with him was after the game in Cincinnati on Wednesday, hit two home runs, one from each side of the plate, fell a switch hitter first to do that in Marlins history, by the way, Uh, when I asked him just what felt different about their two wins in Cincinnati after they had the five-game losing streak, and he starts talking, he gives his answer, and he's saying, yeah, we've been doing this all year. We've been in a rut right now. And I was just thinking, wait, you've been here a week and a half, dude. And he was basically just talking as if he had been inside that clubhouse since opening day, and he had been there for 10 days. So he had already basically established himself as – one of those guys who was basically going to be willing to take the reign, be a voice of the team and talk as it talk with the experience and the knowledge of what this team had done over four and a half months, despite being there for just over a week. He talked like a veteran talked like a leader on that group and players have been saying the same thing from day one in hitters meetings and doing cage work. He was out there giving advice, giving tips, Trying not to overstep his boundaries, but also doing what needed to be done to make sure everybody was ready to go. And then when you do that, you do the talk, and then you're able to show it on the field, too. It only amplifies the power that a guy like Josh Bell can have on this team. Again, like you said, he's reached base every single in all 12 of his games. That's one shy of the Marlins record for most consecutive games reaching base to start a Marlins career when acquired midseason. Gary Sheffield had Reached his first thirteen games back in, uh, back in the early nineties. Uh, Bell's done it all. You, he's had second, third, fourth. He's playing a good first base. Was part of that back to back to back home runs with Soler and rise. He's just between him and then we'll talk about Burger as well. Just the two of them just make this lineup so much more potent, so much more complete. So, I mean, like you look at Burger, yeah, his batting average on the season overall is still the two twenty something. But he's hitting close to what is it, 311 right now with the Marlins, And he replaced a guy who had basically the same batting average, but 25, 26 fewer home runs in Gene Segura. So you have when you have a guy like Berger batting 6th, six seventh in your lineup compared to Segura, and again, no knock on Segura. He was a great guy in that clubhouse, but in terms of the production inside on game day, being able to add, add Berger the bottom third of your lineup just makes it that much deeper, too.
0: Definitely. And it really stretches things out. And I think it's also I'm a big uh, veteran presence guy on these types of teams that are contending for playoffs. And I think his his experience comes in huge when it comes to I know he's not the only one that will have experience in that clubhouse. But it's still a lot of young guys that haven't been in the postseason before. So I think that's going to be invaluable if they do get there, you know, and not only they get there, but I go back to once again, the next month and a half the chase the being steady every day the the keeping a cons- keeping the team consistent through these next 45 days or so as you're fighting for that playoff spot theoretically if you stay in it right until the finish guys like Josh Bell are going to be huge to, to for those younger guys to to stay even keel you know because there's going to be some ups obviously and some downs so going through that as well and then either the high of making it or obviously dealing with the low of if they come up short, because obviously they don't, this isn't just a one shot and done. This is a team that has taken a big step this year. And even if they fall short of it this season, they, they hope it's a big building block towards more in the future. But let's talk about the other guy, that the other new guy, Mr. Jake Berger, who I, I, I can't go anywhere, you know, whether it's you, Danny, everybody, like I almost laughed in the middle of the interview. as so I, I, I glanced over at Danny Alvarez's recorder and it says, Jake Berger emoji. And, I, and I'm like, yeah. I started giggling like an idiot. I was like, hey. but but really really nice guy too, and it seems like seems like a good another similar to Josh Bell, the the influx of what he's been able to bring to that clubhouse, and you look at his numbers too. Another guy who has you know has reached base in almost every game, I think, except for one, and three eleven, three eighty, four sixty seven slash line eight forty seven. I mean, these are the numbers you want to see. There was some concern. Remember that he's got power, but is it a little bit of an all or nothing bat? So far, it hasn't been. So you hope he can keep that going. Uh, you, you talked to him for a while and um kind of he he it he really meant something to, to be here, hasn't it? Because he looked like he got a little choked up talking about it.
1: Yeah. So going back in, he was a first round pick in 2017 by the White Sox, had a really good first year of Pro Ball, and then basically went three years without playing. He ruptured his right. Achilles twice in 2018, had a bruised heel that kept him out for 2019, and then we had the, the pandemic where canceled the minor league season in 2020. So, he goes from being picked eleventh overall to not playing the sport for three years, and doubt crept into his mind. He told his parents a couple times he went, "Yeah, how good can I be if I haven't been on the field as long as I have, as long as I've been off it?" And his parents basically send the message going, "Don't do something you're gonna regret, and we're pretty sure you're gonna regret this if you decide to quit now." And surely enough, he comes back in twenty twenty one, starts in AAA. Gets to play every day, gets called up, hits a home run in his first home game with the White Sox and goes, okay, if I can do this, who knows? Maybe, maybe this is my future. And has a couple, couple good years with the White Sox, then finally has his breakout this year, 25 home runs before the trade. And he's gotten to that point where the confidence is there now. He's starting, he understands what his role is. He understands what he has to do every day to be able to be on the field. And he's finally, he's in that happy place. And it comes between the family support, uh, his wife, Ashley, and his nine month old son, Brooks. He basically looks at all of them as his support for moving, going forward, a big mental health advocate, which you have to applaud. You need guys like that in this day and age in sports. And he's just been a really good dude. And just fun fact, aside from, the baseball stuff grew up in St. Louis, was also a hockey put. also played hockey growing up. He rubbed shoulders with some Florida Panther guy named Matthew Kachuk during their early days. No big deal. So he's already buddy buddy with one of the one of the superstars in town. So had a good had a friend already coming in.
0: Isn't that funny how there's like layer after layer that we keep seeing of you know sports celebrity this year in Miami? You know, like the, the interconnectedness of all of it. Like, here's Jake Berger. It's not like a massive name in the sports world, but yet he knows Matthew Kachuk. And then there, that, there's like another little thing there. I, I don't know. It's just been a, such a cool year in, in, in Miami sports this year between the Panthers and and, and, and the Heat and, the, and what the Dolphins are doing now. And, and you know, Messi, of <laughs> yeah. course. You know, that, that the highlight of it right there. I mean, when you look at the, the grand scale of it all, you know, getting... You know, like I keep calling him the god of soccer to come down here and play for this team especially, Um, which uh, if anybody is listening to this, remember to catch the Leagues Cup on Tuesday night playing Philadelphia, a shameless promo for our Inside Inter-Miami podcast that's coming on Wednesday to talk about whatever happens to Inter-Miami in that one. But um, looking at this Marlins lineup, though, Jorge Soler, three homers in his past five games. Uh, I was going to round that point up by saying the effect that Bell and Berger now you couple that with a Solaire if he rounds in the form, if you're, if this isn't a fluke and he really starts to get consistent. And, of course, you know, he's not quite at Mr. 400 anymore. He's fallen significantly below that number. But you're more than likely batting champion. You know, also can every once in a while pop it out of the park himself, as we saw on Monday night. I mean, look what happened. Solaire, him, and Bell. So while that's not going to happen all the time, it shows you that when the you know that combo of hitters gets going, cool things can happen besides just producing runs the standard way too, and 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 those are going to win you games. And look, on Monday night it did.
1: Yeah, no, and it puts a it eases the pressure because before this, before the trade, it was basically Luis Rice and or and or Jorge Soler has to show up where the Marlins aren't winning. It's basically how the lineup just felt like it had to be and the Luis rise drop off i mean he's only hitting 367 right now it's still it's unbelievable when we think yeah the guy's in a slump what's he doing oh he's only hitting 270 this month what <laughs> and it's just it's, you still take it yep. yeah you still take it and the last three games it's been extra base hits home run on monday trip the game tying triple on sunday home run on saturday you're seeing a little bit of pop with him which I'm, you're almost wondering if he's sacrificing some of the the contact a little bit for a little bit more power. We've seen a, a lot more fly balls, a lot more balls in the air in the second half compared to the low line drives, ground balls up the middle that we saw in the first half. So might be some adjustments that he's making there, or just in terms of pitch selection that's leading to some of these results. But just in general, having a Josh Bell who's batting two, three, four. Having a Jazz Chisholm Jr. who's batting either leadoff or in the heart of the lineup, having a Jake Berger batting seventh, it makes it so that you don't have to just rely on Jorge Soler hitting a home run or Luis Ariz having a six-hit game to get a win. It's You have options now. You have it so that different guys are around to be able to make the big play, and it's you're not just looking at and pitchers and opponents aren't just – game planning for two or three guys each day in order to in order to shut down the lineup having all these options having the versatility and being able to have these guys occasionally have the off days to be able to have a guy like a Jorge Soler come off your bench and be a pinch hitter in a late 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 key situation because you're able to have Josh Bell as your DH one day and then throw Yuli Goriella at first base or to be able to have if Burger's if you had John Birdie at third base one day, do you love Jake Berger come off the bench when you need when you need an extra base hit? It gives Skip Schumacher a little bit more options and a little bit more depth with his bench as well. Well, and also, Arias hitting the way you were saying—not the power hitter,
0: but hitting the way you were saying—was such a big part of what got them off to this great start that put them in the position they're in now. You know, and you want to get you want to get keep getting that out of him, but at the same time. Again, this this really does allow him to really be that player again if he if he can get you know get it going the way he was. But now, like you said, it, it's not all on him because I think a lot of it so so much early on depended on him and depended on him being that good, like hitting four hundred literally. That now you see something that is more sustainable in terms of offense, and that I think is very you know it's a relief really for them if you're a Marlins when you're seeing that. And you're saying, okay, good. Now it's all, you know, because because when when you rely on one guy, you're always like crossing your fingers, like God. Okay, we got to keep it. We got to keep him in bubble wrap. Nothing happens to him, right? <laughs> now you don't have to worry about that as much. Obviously, he's still a key part of it, and you need him there, but it's not crippling as much because now you have some other guys. But still, I think Arias is the engine that makes it all go, and and he's that he he he's the igniter, right? And mm-hmm. so like, if you take that out, even with all these other guys, it would hurt, but. It is much better to see that balance overall. And let's wrap it up by talking about another guy in that lineup, Yuli guriel And uh, not so much for his hitting, but for something that's going to happen uh, uh pregame on Tuesday. He's getting his ring finally from the Astros. So uh, you talked to him, Jordan. What, what? He's been one of the better guys to, to to deal with in that clubhouse, hasn't he? Over the course of this season and. What did that t- tell me a little bit about that? And also, what did it what does obviously this means a ton to him to get a World Series ring, but pretty nice for it to come with his old mates there and and, and, and the ceremony itself in Miami, his new team. Did he talk? Tell me a little bit. of What did he tell you about the moment? What what he thinks it's going to be like?
1: Yeah, so this is the end. This is ring number two for him. He won, he won in that 2017 World Series that a lot of Astros try to just keep hot shots at this point. But he was again, this is ring number two for him. Also, again, 2017 2022. Uh, and again, remember Houston was all he knew as a big league player before joining the Marlins this offseason. He played for them for seven years, he made it to six consecutive ALCSs. And to win the world, when they won the World Series last year, it was again, it was more of another validation moment for him. Remember his postseason he went I think it was like 48 consecutive play appearances or something like that without a strikeout he was one of those the under the radar engines in that lineup that again that has Jose Altuve Alex Bregman Kyle Tucker all those big names and Yuli was a pretty big cog in that in that lineup and also just like he is in the Marlins he was a big cog in that clubhouse he was a fan favorite he was a clubhouse favorite and it's similar to how he is here Uh, I mean When you walk in the clubhouse, you see a lot of the Spanish-speaking players. They just gravitate toward him. You see the young guys like the Brian De La Cruzes, the Jesus Sanchezes. uh, You you see them just going over to him and just talking with him, trying to pick his brain, pick a veteran's brain as much as they can. And in terms of the celebration and the ceremony that's going to happen Tuesday night, he's excited for it. The hope on Houston's side was that every player who wasn't on – who was on the 2022 team that wasn't this year would get the ring in Houston. Obviously the way the schedule works out, the ALNL, AL goes to, you only go to one city. So Houston was in Miami. So they're doing the ceremony here, but the players have said in the Houston clubhouse that they want to be the ones to present you the ring. So it's going to be a few of his former teammates are going to be supposed to be giving him the ring before the game on Tuesday. And just the impact that he had, uh, Dusty Baker gave probably the best quote about it, and anybody who hasn't talked to or listened to Dusty Baker, he's awesome. This is my first year of interaction with him. Uh, his his quote was, "I had him for three years. He was here a lot longer, but Yuli was probably one of the most popular guys to come through the organization. Not only with the players, but with the fans. Everybody. Yuli comes to play and plays hard, plays smart. We miss him." We were hoping, or at least I was hoping, to sign Yuli because we would have found a place for him. Even though they signed uh, Jose Abreu in the off-season, uh, I think the Marlins are very lucky to have Yuli, especially with all the young players they have. The guy still has skill. The legs are good. You see, when you, you see when you get to his age, the first thing that goes are your legs. And that guy can still run. And even with all that praise I gave him, I hope he does not hurt us too bad this week. But. <laughs> You know, yeah. you know, you know, you never know, you know, you know, you interacted with Dusty when he was with the Nats. I thought, I thought maybe with all the division unfortunately series. Unfortunately, not again. I again, he started with them in uh 2020. So hmm. I only had 2019 was my first year on the beat. So okay. I, only had no, I just think, years, especially
0: yeah. three times a year back then, I thought maybe might have crossed paths at some yeah, point.
1: Unfortunately, I didn't do much that first year going to the other side, so I was more focused on everything internally, yeah. but yeah, but. I mean, I've listened to his press conference, but I never had the chance to actually, like, go into one of his scrums, ask a couple questions, and he's a joy. He really is. And, again, you, it's easy to see why people have rooted for him throughout his entire career, both Yuli yeah. and Dusty Baker. I can say that for either of them.
0: Yeah, it, 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 I always heard the same things uh, about him from other writers, so that's cool that you got – I actually, personally, have never been able to interview him. I did interview other of these – other notable managers that had that same kind of charisma and – like Joe Madden and others. I remember the great interview I had once with Joe Madden when he was with, when he was with the Cubs and talking about, you know, just different things and you know, it, it's always fun when you have those guys that can give you so much perspective of the game and and then they're so personable too. You know, so I'm glad I'm glad that, you know, Dusty lived up to what everybody says, you know, and, and it's why he's been you know, so, such a such a such a big name in this game, not just the success, but also I think that part of it, too. I think that's why he's so well respected, like you said before. And uh, so that that kind of wraps it up. I mean, uh, coming up, big road trip for them. You know, they got it. They got to Obviously, they're not done with the Astros. Still have a couple more against them before they head out on the road. But, uh, you know, we'll see what they can do if they, they've put themselves back in it, like we've said. But big tests ahead, you know, especially when you, anytime you go on the West Coast, it's tough. Facing a talented team like the Dodgers, facing a Padres team that at this point is dangling by a thread, about to fall out of it, but still an extremely talented team as we know. So, in in one week's time, let's see. How do you see it? How do you see it kind of folding? Uh, uh you know, unfolding over the next week.
1: Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, I need the pitching needs. We've talked so much about the offense. I need to see how the starting pitching handles these next two series specifically, because that to me will give the real litmus test for how they'll handle the postseason. Because like you like we mentioned before, the offense could be doing great, but if they're playing from behind, if the pitching isn't up to snuff, and especially knowing the way that pitching gets managed in the postseason, where guy struggles early and you're going to be seeing a lot of bullpen. If right. the starting pitching can't handle the Astros or the Dodgers or even the Padres lying up, it could be a real litmus test for, how long or short a postseason run could go, assuming they're able to, to hold things out down the stretch. Well,
0: we'll see how it ends up for the Martins over the next week. And, of course, we'll be on a weekly basis coming to you here and, and keeping track of everything with the Miami Martins as they pursue that playoff spot. The first, uh, first would be the first one in a full season. No more excuses. No more, oh, it's the COVID year. If they get in, it'll be really for the first time they really, really get in in 20 years, so we'll see if they can pull it off, and we'll be right there with you on the Fish Bites podcast. For Jordan McPherson, I'm Andre Fernandez. As always, thanks, everybody, for listening and watching, and we'll catch you guys next week.